This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and we have a whole slate of games to talk about this week. Once again, I am joined by Equalizer contributor and social media queen, Rachel Krieger. How's it going, Rachel? Social media queen. That's a new one. I like it. Uh, Yeah, lots of soccer um, this weekend on TV and um, in person. Our soccer season my kids were were three and zero for varsity. Got a seven to two win yesterday. It was it was pretty hype. So lots of lots and lots of soccer going on. So I'm very I'm very proud. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Spring has definitely sprung, and uh, you can tell because sports are sports are back on the menu. So trying to do our best to catch up on all the things that happened this week. The nature of the Challenge Cup, nature of the league right now, is that there are things happening like every weeknight. So we're gonna go all the way back to the beginning of this week. Uh, with a little bit of non-game news, maybe, or discussion or discourse, uh, the NWSL Disciplinary Committee did come out with a statement early this week about the games that happened last weekend. They did rescind uh, Portland's Morgan Weaver. They rescinded her red card. Uh, they gave a fine to Megan Klingenberg for statements about the refereeing that she gave after the game. They gave a fine to the Portland Thorns for some of their social media activity. And then in a little bit of a surprise, they also gave fines to Gotham FC and the Chicago Red Stars for, they said, violating a league directive. Uh, it was a little bit vague. We weren't entirely sure what was going on, but it seemed like that was connected to the investigation that has been opened about an incident that Chicago's Sarah Gordon uh, part was part of or, or uh, was a victim of that Friday night. It took some reporting. The league was not really forthcoming about what that meant, but it turned out ultimately sources said to um, Sports Illustrated or formerly Sports Illustrated Grant Wall that those fines were given to Elise LaHue and to Sarah Spain for some of their posts on social media. You can go back and see those posts. They are still up. In my opinion, I think that this is a dangerous line for the league to walk because those statements were pretty benign, right? They were just kind of posted in support of Sarah Gordon. Um, and they were not the, the directive that they were violating was, was technically speaking about an open investigation investigation within the league. Rachel, I'll kick it back over to you. You saw those posts. What do you think of the league deciding essentially that no one can speak about an investigation when it's open, even if it's just a message of support. Yeah, I mean, they weren't saying, you know, dropping F-bombs, dropping curses, or like even, you know, you know, calling out the, um, you know, people, like anybody by name. It, it was very, um, it was harmless, and it was in support of, of Sarah Gordon. And, and I just think that, you know, we, we can get into the, you know, politics of it being like, oh, well, that's a First Amendment right, you know, freedom of speech and stuff. Um, although, you know, harmful speech isn't covered into that, but there was nothing harmful what Elise LaHue and Sarah Spain were, um, you know, commenting on their social media. And I'm I'm a big proponent of if it's my social media, don't tell me what I can and can't post. Like, it's my account. You know, I, I'm going to do what I want, um, again, as long as it's not harmful. And there, there was nothing harmful about it. So I didn't really understand it. Um, I was just as confused as pretty much everyone else as confused as you were. Um, whenever, you know, Grant had mentioned that the fines went to Elisa, Elisa Hugh and, and Sarah Spain, it really didn't make any sense. And it's like, you know, is it really a crime to support a player? Like there, there shouldn't be any, you know, repercussions, I guess, for supporting somebody when 
how, how do you say this when they, when they need that support, especially. So yeah, that's just my thoughts on that. Yeah. And I thought, you know, Rory Dames, Chicago's Rory Dames was asked about this before uh, Chicago's game this Thursday. And I think he had a decent take on it, which was basically um, you can't as a club, as an owner of a club, as a general manager of a club, you can't really control what the league is going to do. I do think that neither Spain nor LaHue thought they were violating a directive. They thought what they were saying was okay. They were told later that that was not the case. And basically what Dame said was um, the clubs have to do what's best for the clubs. And sometimes that means saying something that the league doesn't love. You saw that with Klingenberg too. I'll be completely honest. I thought what Megan Klingenberg said after that match was fine. It was very measured. It was talking about a very general level of refereeing, not something that I felt needed to be reined in. Uh, yeah, I mean, she didn't mention like Chesky. She was saying basically like Klingenberg was saying like, listen, like the league in general right. needs to be better. It's something that, you know, they've said on like the international level too with right. the arguments with VAR and whatnot. Um, it, it, it was very general. Right, exactly. Um, and I think that, so basically you have to do what's best for your teammates. You have to do what's best for your club. And sometimes the league has to do what they think is best for the league. And a lot of times those things align. What's best for the clubs is what's best for the league. And sometimes they don't. And everyone kind of has to make those decisions on their own. I thought it was an overstep by the league. I think that you are really playing a dangerous game when you make people afraid to speak out against injustice or make people afraid to show support of those speaking out against injustice. I also am concerned by the fact that we have precedent of the league not giving um, the results of investigations. We did not get the results of the investigations into Utah. And so when you tell people that they can't talk about a situation where there is an investigation and you don't necessarily feel like you have to give the public the results of that investigation, I worry that that is not a safe space for people who are dealing with those kinds of injustices. So ongoing situation, it also opens up a question of like the Houston Dash players uh, issued a message of support for Sarah Gordon. Again, not talking about the particulars of anything being investigated, simply showing up for their fellow soccer player, for someone that they care about. Did that violate this, this gag order? It's really just hard to tell. So I think that the league should probably take a good hard look at themselves in this one and think about what's good for growing the game, what's good for their players, what's good for their fans, uh, and maybe rein in that reach for control a little bit. Um, okay, but now we do actually have some games to talk about. We had a midweek game this week between the Orlando Pride and Gotham FC. This is Orlando's second game, Gotham's first. Uh, Gotham won uh, one to nothing on a strike by Paige Monahan. Uh, both teams were missing some important parts of their midfield. Gotham was missing McCall Zerboni. Orlando was missing Maggie Doherty Howard. Um, there was a handball early in the match against Orlando against Kanye Plummer. Wasn't a great, wasn't a great take. Uh, Ashlyn Harris does save it. It stays zero, zero. What do you think, Rachel? Will PKs in the NWSL ever improve? Oh, uh, well, the only one that really saves, uh, penalties is Jane Campbell. So Ashlyn Harris was like, Hey, yo, yeah, I'm on the list too. Uh, oh man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it was, listen, you're talking to somebody who watched Raul Rui Diaz miss one and then the Sounders won four to nothing. So, um, penalties aren't like the end of the world, especially in the first half, but yeah, it was, it was a rough take. (laughs) It was. And I really think it's interesting just in the women's game in general, that there are very few quality penalty kick takers. I mean, obviously Megan Rapinoe has made that part of her brand. She doesn't miss from the spot. Uh, Wendy Renard is another one who does a great job. Um, and there's I, not a lot of penalties either that I've noticed too. Maybe that's because right now we don't have uh, VAR in the NWSL um, in the women's game on a, um, on a consistent level, like MLS does and, and like other men's um, leagues, you know, Bundesliga comes to mind. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There really isn't a lot of, I, I think that there will probably be as many penalty kicks as in the entire NWSL year than like, three or four weeks of MLS action, just because sometimes it's not caught right away and you don't have that technology to be like, all right, we're going to go back and we're going to award this. Right. And in the NWSL in general, there is uh, a general feeling that they're going to not call it before they call it. They let them play. Uh, And there are some pretty egregious (laughs) penalty missed calls. 
Uh, but I just think it's kind of funny that being awarded a penalty kick in the NWSL is not a guarantee <laughs> for, uh, for going up because people aren't great at taking them. I thought maybe after last year's challenge pup, when we had those penalty shootouts that maybe we might start seeing some more consistent penalty takes, but yet to see it here. Um, so these two teams were playing a very different game. I felt like uh, Orlando was going a lot more direct. Gotham was really still trying to establish that passing style through the midfield. Uh, Taylor Korniak for Orlando. They've got a big, tall target forward now. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. I think Orlando could have used that a little bit more, maybe. Yeah, I think she's a great player. She had that. She had a goal in their first game, I think, if if I recall pretty correctly. She, I mean, she's a big target. If you're on a set piece play, you're you're going for her every single time, and that's one of those things that you know for the teams that are defending, they're going to put maybe two or three bodies on Corniak. Well, then that leaves maybe two or three players open, um, so you can kind of like shift around and play around with that a bit. But I, I don't think Mark Skinner knows how good he has it when he has her on the pitch, honestly. Yeah, we'll talk about this more when we talk about the result, but I thought that these two teams are in kind of a transitionary period, and they both have some pretty clear weaknesses, I think. For Gotham, I worry about not only their defense, and I talked about this in their Challenge Cup preview, but I worry about their midfield a little bit too because they were missing Zerboni a lot. And Zerboni is someone in her mid-30s. She was dealing with non-contact, a back issue, And if they can't get a ton out of her this year, I'm not sure this system works so well. They need her defensive presence more than anything. They need her ball winning. And they really were missing that in this game. If you look at, if you look at the XG map, they, the middle of the, the middle, like half hour of this match, there was a whole lot of nothing going on. You know, Orlando was struggling to get the ball forward. Uh, Gotham had the ball, but they weren't doing a lot with it just a lot of kind of works in progress. And I think if Gotham can't control that midfield, they're going to put a lot of pressure on their back line. And I'm not sure their back line can withstand that. However, late in the game, we get a really nice play by Gotham FC. Uh, Elizabeth Eddy sends a great ball out to Ifioma Anumanu, who's out on the wing. She sends it into Paige Monahan. Monahan burns both Allie Krieger and Ashlyn Harris to get the goal. Uh, And that's all she wrote. That's one nothing Gotham. Okay, so first question. The Orlando Pride have not won a game in over 600 days. We know how their 2020 went, but that's not good. How much time do they get to work it out in 2021 before they have to maybe think about changing managers? I was going to say the the question should be how long does Mark Skinner have? Um, I don't don't know. I, I think... The NWSL doesn't really have a history of sacking coaches in the middle of the season like some of the other leagues do. Um, Although I do think if they don't get any wins in the Challenge Cup, I think that they have to start considering it. I don't think it'll happen. Um, But yeah, I I don't know. If if he doesn't get any wins in in the Challenge Cup, he's definitely on the hot seat right now. That hot seat will become burning hot, and then it'll be do or die in the fall series. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I've always been kind of harsh on the pride because I think it's a team that has a lot of individual talent and really great individual talent, but when they come together as a team, it just doesn't work. And I don't know if that's on the players and they have a hard time meshing together, or if it's on the manager who doesn't know how to get the players to mesh together, um, formation wise and and stuff like that. So I don't know. I mean, I, (laughs) It's hard not to root for them with all the, like, you know, you got Marta, you've got, you've got Tony Presley, who has an amazing story, Allie Krieger, Ashlyn Harris, Alex Morgan. I mean, like so much individual talent on that team and it just doesn't translate on the pitch at the club level. And it's, it really is surprising. Right. I think with Orlando, you're exactly right that they do have a lot of this individual talent that massively underperforms for this team. And we saw this with, you know, maybe Allie Krieger in 2019, the level she was able to reach for the U S to get back on that world cup stage uh, versus what she was doing for Orlando that year was, there was a big difference. We've seen that difference with Alex Morgan. Marta has had kind of a rough first couple of games in this, this tournament. Um, And you do, you say, is this because the manager isn't getting a lot out of them? Maybe, 
or is this because there is an orga- organizational environment that is not pushing those players to excel? Hard to say. Really interesting. I think, again, the Pride have done a nice job of recentering themselves off the pitch. I think that their social media has been on point. Obviously, they had a fabulous kit launch. I think that their new general manager has put some nice pieces together, but it's still just not working on the field. We'll see what that translates to. So great first win for Gotham. They've got some stuff to work out. Orlando really has some stuff to work out. We'll see if they get a win in the Challenge Cup at all. So moving on to Thursday's games, we had that rescheduled game against Washington and Louisville. That was originally not supposed to be on Thursday night, but in order to get Washington in at Audi Field, they had to move this one. Washington wins one to nothing on an Ashley Sanchez strike in stoppage time. So it was zero, zero all the way till 90 plus. Um, I liked this game. I think this is probably my favorite game of the weekend or the week, not the weekend. Um, because the thing I like about Louisville, let's talk about Louisville for a second. Statistically, they're not great. They are, they have holes. They have a style that isn't very cohesive. Um, they're struggling in the important parts of gameplay, but their eye test is really fun. They're still a fun team to watch. And I think that that's a good place for an expansion club to be where sure, maybe they're not competing necessarily uh, in statistical battles or in what's going to get them the result, but they're a fun product to watch in that development. Um, Thoughts on Louisville. I love them. I I think they're great. I mean, I remember um, Cece Kaiser after the first game, I think she had said something. I don't remember who she said it to. So apologies on that, but she had said like, we really don't have anything to prove. We just need to go out there and try to like click together. We're an expansion club. We're not expected to win the, you know, the league in the first year. And she's absolutely right. I think there are some, you know, when I look at expansion clubs from, um, like from the NWSL and then like look at MLS, like there's so much pressure, I think for expansion clubs and MLS. And then for the NWSL, it's like, all right, you give them like a year or two, get them rolling, get it clicked together, get some different signings in and then, you know, try to compete for that trophy in the next two or three years. And I think that right now Louisville's on a really good track because I think kind of like the pride, they do have a lot of individual talent, but I think they're meshing together a lot better. And I don't know if they just have a better structure there. I like Christy Holly. I think he's a good coach. Um, their general manager is the guy who used to be with Louisville City FC, and I can't think of his name right now. Um, but he he's really good. He's been a proven winner. I mean, that city just knows how to win. Um, so, you know, give it, give it a little bit of time. Rome wasn't built in a day. I think the Challenge Cup is kind of like their preseason 2.0 right now before they get into the league. And well, I guess league regular season play, but I like watching Louisville. I think they're a fun team. I'm a big Michelle Betos fan. So I obviously, you know, hate seeing goals go past her, but she's done a really nice job. She's their leader. Um, Yuki Nagasato, aside from her, you know, Twitter being the most amazing thing in the world, she is a amazing presence for them in that midfield. And I still think Rory Dames is an absolute genius for sending uh, her and Savannah McCaskill down there. Um, because yeah, it's a loss for Chicago, but I mean, it's such a great gain in the sense, you know, Chicago didn't get anything else taken away and they McCaskill and Nagasato fits so well into Christy Holly system and fit into Louisville, really Louisville really well. Yes. I, you know, I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling positive about what Louisville is doing well, but I am going to bring this back down to earth a little bit though. It looked pretty good against the pride. We talked about the issues that the pride have big issues, especially in the back for them. They look pretty good against Washington. Washington also very much a work in progress in the back. They don't have three of their starting defenders right now. So Louisville looking dangerous in front of Washington's goal. I don't know if that's real or if that, you know, is Washington missing Sam Staub, missing um, uh, Kelly O'Hara, missing Emily Sonnet. They've been trying uh, Radar on that right center back. She hasn't done super well in the first two games here. A lot of those turnovers came from her part of the field. They also had some turnovers in the midfield that kind of sprang Louisville on the counter. So yes, I think Louisville is doing a good job of almost getting the opportunities granted to them. I think they're going to have a rough time against North Carolina. Um, 
but we'll see. We'll see. So I, that's my switching over to kind of Washington analysis. We saw again in this game that Washington doesn't at this moment have the personnel to play the way that they want to play, but they're getting a lot of those players back this week. And in the second half of this game, they were actually still able to kind of turn it on. You talk about Trinity Rodman. I think she's the story of the tournament so far. Uh, even though Washington is probably not necessarily in contention for that final spot after losing to North Carolina last week, Trinity Rodman is having a hell of a tournament. And when Washington is able in this, again, this stoppage time goal was a full team goal. It was built from the center backs, went through the midfield, got Trinity Rodman end line. She whips it into Ashley Sanchez who beats Betos. That was a savable ball too. Betos kind of missed on that one. Um, and they get the win. So they have a lot to be excited about, but they are not able at this moment to put it all together. Thoughts on Washington? Yeah. So I, I mean, I have been a very big critic of Kelly O'Hara. I'm going to stand here and say now, if you like Kelly O'Hara, don't listen to the next maybe minute, minute and a half of this podcast. I don't, I, I think that Washington and Richie Burke are going to have a time whenever they do have O'Hara back and they do have um, Emily Sonnet back. Yeah, ha- missing Sam Staub really stinks. But who are you going to bench? I-, I mean, I personally would never bench Tori Huster over Kelly O'Hara. I get it. She's a national team player, all that stuff. But uh, for me, I'm a big proponent of you got to roll with the hot hand. And I think Tori Huster has been playing really well on defense. Of course, you can still, she's a very versatile player. You can put her in the midfield. You can kind of switch her around a little bit. But I mean, I think Washington has a young defense. I think it's a pretty good defense with um, Nielsen and with Tegan McGrady, who um, has kind of had her issues with the injury bug as well, too. Uh, But I'm really intrigued now that they're having their internationals back with who they're going to play and who are you going to bench for Kelly O'Hara? Because me personally, I, I wouldn't bench Tori Huster at all for Kelly O'Hara. Yeah, I do think that we're going to see, they do want to play in this three back. And so that's going to change their system as well. I don't know if the vision is Sonnet, Stob Nielsen back there. If it's Huster, Stob Nielsen with Sonnet pushing forward. I don't know exactly what they're envisioning. Um, I'm sure part of it is they're envisioning players getting time when other players are not available, but um, I think it's going to, I think that we're going to see closer to what Washington wants to be in these upcoming games. I think we're going to see Andy Sullivan when she returns pushing up a little bit more. I think we're going to see Sonnet pushing up a little bit more because Emily Sonnet, her, her skill set works well in a defensive midfield position as well. She's really good going forward. She's good on the ball. Uh, She's not necessarily the number one person you want as your last line of defense. So I think that we're going to see those pieces move a little bit and depending on, on injury and how people are feeling, I'm sure that there's going to be some versatility there, but let's talk about the Washington attack briefly. Sanchez, Rodman, Hatch, those pieces were not quite clicking. Well, Rodman obviously got the goal back, but, but in terms of like a full 90 minutes, those pieces were not necessarily clicking in their first match against North Carolina. How big is it, do you think, for the confidence of that attack that you had that link up between Rodman and Sanchez to win that game? Yeah, it's definitely big, especially since they're the younger players. I mean, Ashley Hatch has done it many, many times before. This is her, what, like fifth year or fourth or fifth year or something in the league. So she knows that, you know, it might take some time. And she's, you know, the it, it's kind of crazy to say that, like, Ashley Hatch is the veteran up front now because she still is such a young player. Um, but, you know, she has a rookie in Trinity Ronman. She has a second-year player in Ashley Sanchez who didn't get the full slate of games um, that usually happens in an NWSL season. So it's almost like a rookie 2.0 type thing. So I, I think for the younger players to connect is definitely going to help with confidence because Ashley Sanchez, not Ashley Sanchez, too many Ashleys. I know. Um, Ashley, <laughs> everybody named Ashley. Ashley Hatch needs, knows that, you know, she's been here before. She knows what to do. She knows how to be a good striker. Um, so yeah, for the younger players to get that confidence more, um, as they're still adjusting from that college game to the um, professional game is I, I think it's a, 
it, it's a bigger deal for me that those two connected than if one of those two would have connected with Hatch. Yeah, agreed. And again, I just think that Rodman, Rodman feels like the kind of player, you know, we have this happen in the league every once in a while. You have the Andy Sullivan rule, which she was the first player to to go pro after before exhausting her college eligibility. You have more players starting to do that, right? You had Sophia Smith do it. Rodman doesn't play in college at all. She goes straight from high school to the pros. And her being a success story and really being ready for this feels like something that's going to push this discussion forward for the league, that there are players who are ready to do this at the age of 18. We famously, famously, uh, Trinity Rodman's first goal of the season was not actually the youngest goal ever scored. It was the youngest American goal ever scored. Ellie Carpenter did very well with the Portland Thorns at the age of 18. The women's game is starting to develop these players who are ready to do this right away. And Rodman having a strong, just being strong out of the gate, I think is important for the league. And I also think some of these games in this tournament haven't been amazing. We've seen a little bit of a struggle here for something to heat up for things to get going. Having a story like Rodman, I think is important for this challenge cup because we need some wins. We need some stars. We need some stuff like that. So all aboard the Rodman hype train, uh, Washington, I think has a bright future ahead of them. One more game to talk about in this segment before we switch to segment two. The other Thursday night game, which this was one that I actually went to, I attended, was Chicago hosting Portland. And I'm glad I was there because a lot of this game was played in the middle third again, very similar to Chicago's first match against Houston. It's nice when you're at a match to be able to see some of the nice things teams are doing, even if they're not putting the final product together in front of goal. So this match was really interesting because Portland didn't come out super strong. I don't know if it was the short rest or the travel or the fact that they're pushing really far off on their depth chart as well. We saw Nadine Ongerer grace the 18 once again. Um, So Chicago was given the opportunity to really kind of control the game for the first half and yet uh the goal the goal woes continue for the red stars no goals in this one again despite the fact that they really controlled the run of play for the first 45 minutes uh what do you think rachel when you see the chicago red stars play and struggle so much in the attack i think still cling um you know like i said with um you know, when we were talking about Washington last year, wasn't even really a full NWSL season. It was kind of like, it wasn't even half of an NWSL season. It was like a third of it. So I think that, you know, the pieces up front are still kind of clicking um, and they're still trying to find their groove with each other. I mean, that midfield is so in sync because it's the same players pretty much. And with a couple different pieces added in there, um, when you have Vanessa DiBernardo and you have um, Danny Colaprico together in a midfield, you, you're pretty much going to be running like a sound engine. Um, but when you kind of switch things up up front a little bit, um, this is the second year now for for Kaylee Watt for um, oh I'm blanking on on Kate, Katie Johnson. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like her Katie Johnson's third year with the team, but yeah, yeah, and it's and it's their second year together. I mean, there's there's a lot of different pieces coming together in Chicago's attack and, and they'll get it. They'll figure it out. I mean, Rory Dames will make sure they figure it out. Um, and Chicago's had such a history of, of success. They, they always make the playoffs. It's just something that they, they do that, especially down the stretch, they know how to, they know how to win games. So I, I'm not worried at all about Chicago's attack. I think they're going to get it. It's just, you know, I, I think it's taking longer than they'd like, but I think they're, they're going to start turning out some goals I'm a big Katie Johnson fan. I really like oh, her. So. Oh, I'm a big, I am a, I I am a huge she, Katie Johnson fan myself as well. Um, yeah, I hope but, she finds But I will say this, and this comes from, this comes from a place of closeness and a place of love. I am a little bit worried about Chicago's attack. Um, so in this game, they, Vanessa DiBernardo wasn't in the midfield at all, actually. She was on the right wing. And Chicago had to do some heavy rotation in their back line as well because um, Kayla Sharples, who was their starting, one of their starting center backs against Houston, was out due to COVID protocol. With uh, an addendum to that being that the league did say that there were no confirmed positives. So um, I assume that means that Sharple was either exposed or she was had an inconclusive test that she was waiting 
to get a confirmed negative on, which is hopefully good news. It hopefully means that she's doing okay. But they actually had Casey Kruger playing center back in this match. And I thought she did okay. And then they had the true rookie Tatum Malazzo playing right back for them. So they had to do some heavy rotation due to injury. And then the rotation that they did to try to get the attack going is they had Sarah Woldmo in the midfield with Colaprico and Gatra. And then they had DiBernardo out wide on the right side. This time Mackenzie Doniak in the middle, Kalia Watt on the left wing. Chicago spent a lot of time in Portland's, you know, in Portland's 18, in Portland's, uh, in Portland's box during this first half. They just could not get the shots off. And they also made a lot of crosses in this game, very few of which connected in the middle. And so we have two things happening with Chicago, I think. One is that they still haven't figured out who their number nine is. They've tried Johnson and they've tried Doniak. I am also a big Katie Johnson fan. She is a collaborative player, though. She is very comfortable back to goal. She's looking for outlet passes. So she needs people to play off of for her strengths to work so well. And then with Doniak, I think that Doniak was a little bit more really asking for the ball, but she wasn't quite being found. She's not the paciest player in the world, so they didn't necessarily have a ton of speed against the back line. And so they just, again, that final piece was not there. I would say that for Chicago, it's a mixture of the personnel, and it's a mixture of an attacking style that is not, it's either hyper-efficient or not efficient enough. So they need to figure that out. Talking about Portland, though. Portland, again, their speed, they had like no speed really on the pitch during this game. Um, a lot of their pacier players are missing. They had Tyler Lucy and Morgan Weaver on the front line. Very well handled by Kruger and Gordon in the first half. Again, I, it's because I was there that I can, it's nice that I can like say these things because I saw it. Otherwise you watch this on a stream and you're just like, man, this is rough. But um, they really turned it on in the second half. I think they were saving legs. I think they did a push in the first 15 minutes, first 15, 20 minutes of the second half is in the 55th, 66th minute, they get that goal, which, and Chicago is going to be so mad about this. It came off a Chicago corner kick. (laughs) Chicago has a corner kick that is pretty easily defended away. Springs Portland on the counter. Celeste Bure gives a really nice ball in to Weaver, who is isolated against Kruger. Weaver turns Kruger gets the shot off. Cassie Miller doesn't save it. One, nothing Portland. And because of their attacking woes, Chicago doesn't really have an answer, you know, for the rest of the match, they're pushing, they do a push themselves, but not really efficient in front of goal. Uh, So Portland, two wins, two games, missing a lot of people. People might argue they should have been missing more, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, What do you think about what Portland's been able to pull off so far? For, you know, reaching on their depth chart, they've been pretty good. Um, I will still never understand how Louisville didn't take goalkeepers in their expansion trap from, from Portland, but it's really good to see AD French back out there. I mean, she was definitely missed um, all of last year, despite having, she was the most vocal player on the pitch that night too. She was, she's very important in terms of their organization. Yeah. She's a great leader. She's, she's a longtime veteran of, of the league and, you know, she's, she's found a home in Portland and so to see her back was, you know, obviously really cool. And, um, you know, I just think that Portland has such a good block of veteran players and like their bench is ridiculous. Like you just pull Ange Salem off of the bench and just slot her in there and she goes and she's passing the ball left and right. I mean, Rocky Rodriguez is, is amazing. She is just, you know, having her in Portland, it's, it's like night and day from what she did in um, New Jersey. So it's cool to see her thriving in a, in a really cool club environment. Um, Portland, Portland's a good team. I think everybody knows that Portland was pretty much intact. um, The off season, they didn't really lose too many pieces. Um, So I I didn't think there was going to be too much worry about, Oh, is Portland going to win games and stuff? Um, And now this week they have their head coach back on the sideline and they have, um, they're going to be getting some of their internationals back. So, I mean, Portland is just kind of locked and loaded and they're ahead in the West and, and they're just, I think they're just going to expand that lead further and further. Yeah. I think the thing that really impresses me about Portland is a similar thing that really impresses me about North Carolina, which is that no matter who is on the field and well, I actually caveat to this, who is on the field does matter in the uh, execution of the vision and how well it goes. However, no matter who is on the field, 
Portland knows how it wants to play. And so does North Carolina. And so when you look at the style of any Portland Thorns game, regardless of who is in their 11, they look like the Portland Thorns. They're high efficiency passing. They're low, high, they're low, but high XG shots. They don't take many shots, but the shots that they take are very good. And they're also really, really good at ball winning. And that's where Rocky Rodriguez comes in. Portland is underrated in winning first and second balls in the air or not. Not many teams uh, win the tackle battle, win the dual battle against Portland. They are really, really good at winning the ball. And Rocky Rodriguez is exactly that type of player. She's She, in addition, is good on the ball. But what she's able to do in that midfield of bodying players off the ball, of not being bodied herself, she cannot be moved <laughs> when she's got the ball. And uh, that is the Portland Thorns. That is who they are. And that is who they have been with Mark Parsons for years. So when I, I am very impressed by those teams that they show up at the beginning of a season and they're like, actually, no, we don't need to work the Kings out. We don't need to figure out what our style is. We don't need to get better at this. We know who we are. We're the Portland Thorns and we're going to play that way. The execution of that does matter. And I still think that there were some missed opportunities in this game for Chicago, but I think you can't argue against it. The Portland Thorns are the Portland Thorns. And I think they're going to keep doing that to teams for the rest of the year. So that's the first run of games. We're going to try to keep this as balanced as possible. In the next segment, we will have one more NWSL game plus the international, the second half of the international slate talk. And we've got some U.S. Women's National Team discussion to get into. So stay tuned. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. We'll be right back to that in a minute, but just want to make sure that you're aware of our other podcast from the Equalizer Network, Kicking Back. It's one that I host, and each week we talk to personalities from across the sport of women's soccer, coaches, players, executives, plenty of great guests throughout season one from U.S. coaches, Vlatko Anonofsky, Jill Ellis, to players like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn. NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird. So many great guests. And we're coming up on Season 2 pretty soon, and you are not going to want to miss what we have in store for you. So go ahead and check out Kicking Back. If you're listening on a podcast platform right now, you can find us there as well. We're on all the podcast platforms, and we're looking forward to another exciting season of really in-depth interviews and fun interviews with our latest guests. That's it for me, and let's get you back to the Equalizer podcast. All right, welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. I am joined this week by Rachel Krieger. We are going to, this is going to be a mixture. We're going to list list off some results and do a little bit of analysis here. Um, Staying in club play briefly. Oh, actually, no. First thing I got to do, I almost forgot. I almost forgot. Please rate and review in this podcast. Please give us five stars (laughs) on your streaming app and uh, say nice things about us because it helps people find the podcast, especially when games are happening. We really appreciate it. Can't forget to plug. That's the part of the host duties. Okay. Staying in club play. Did want to mention that just today, we're recording this on Sunday. PSG uh, defeated Olympic Lyon 2-1 to one in their delayed second leg of the Champions League quarterfinal. This does mean that Paris does go forward on away goals. They will play Barcelona in the semifinals. Um Lots of conversation about this one. Lots of people saying, you know, Leon's kind of had this coming for a while. They haven't been their usual dominant selves this year. Probably a big part of this too is that Leon was dealing with a massive COVID-19 outbreak. And I teams really struggle after those kinds of things. So happy for PSG. Leon has some soul searching to do this offseason, I think, in bringing some reinforcements in for their roster. But we're going to have some bangers in uh, the Champions League semifinals. PSG versus Barcelona. And then we have Bayern Munich versus Chelsea. So now switching back to the NWSL, we have one more NWSL game to talk about. And we'll see how much we uh, how much blood we draw from this stone. OL Reign versus the Houston Dash was played on Friday night at in Tacoma. 0-0 draw. O.L. Reigns first game, Houston second. Houston, like Chicago, still scoreless in two games. O.L. Reigns scoreless in one. Uh, To be completely honest, my main takeaway of this game is, dang, that field is tiny, and it really changes the way things are played. (laughs) 
You mean your takeaway isn't that we got the cup glare back? Oh, that's true. We did get that too. <laughs> the cup glare is officially back. The account is risen from the dead on social media. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. There really wasn't um, too much going on in terms of action. Um, the only thing that I guess was really notable, um, you know, Fareed Benstidi had um, Ali Long start the game, but on the on the sheet, but she had gotten hurt in pregame warmup. So um, Angelina, I think she's only 19 or 20 years old, the Brazilian international. She she made her first start. She looked pretty good. She was passing the ball around. She, um, you know, she was getting used, I think, to the midfield. Um, Shirley Cruz was a tank per usual in yeah. the, uh, <laughs> in the OL. fun game from Shirley Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> you put Shirley Cruz and Shea Groom on a, on a pitch together and oh, yeah. it's, it's going to be pure chaos to, to the, to the finest. Um, but I think the only qualm that I really had with, um, OL rain, um, I think both teams kind of had like a pro and a con in the sense of, um, OL rain had a pro in, um, in regard to, well, they had a lot more rest than Houston um, because this was their kickoff. They were the last team to kick off the Challenge Cup. But at the same time, that's a downfall because Houston has played a game, a competitive game, and they haven't. Right. And then, you know, on the flip side, of course, it's kind of a con that you have tired legs and you had to, to travel all the way out to Tacoma. Um, but you also had that game action. I was really surprised that Fareed Benstidi didn't make a substitution into the 72nd minute when he brought on Zierra King. I think she should have been brought on maybe in like the 62nd, 63rd minute. Um, afterwards, I know Jasmine Spencer came on and then um, Nicole Momiki came on for Angelina. Um, so I, I think the subs were used pretty sparingly and I think he could have been more um, willing to bring them out a little bit sooner. Um but other than that, there really wasn't much to take away from this game. Um, OL Rain finally gets to dip their toes into the Challenge Cup. Um, a, a scoreless draw is better than a loss for for these teams. So that's that's definitely a takeaway. But you know, the, the Houston's getting more internationals back than OL Rain is. So I'm intrigued to see what Houston looks like in their next games. And then, of course, I'm kind of curious to see where Megan Rapinoe fits into the plans of. Um, of OL Reign, this is really her first kind of go around with uh, Ben Steedy and company. So really interested to see where he kind of puts her in the, in the midfield or in the attack. Sorry. No, no, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, I agree. I think uh, credit to Houston, honestly, two clean sheets in two games. I think I believe very much actually in their defense. I think that that center back pairing of Oyster and Naughton is pretty special. And I think that they're going to be tough to score on this year. I think, we have seen kind of play out the depth concerns about Houston. Uh, there's there where, where their starters were playing. They were very strong where their non-starters were playing. Not very strong. I think that Veronica Latsko uh, didn't necessarily stake a huge claim for being for fighting Rachel Daly, you know, for that spot up top. Um, I think that the wings weren't super effective again, that pitch is so small. I don't, you have, and you also have to change for it. I think that the missed opportunity for the dash is I think when you have a field that small, you have to be ready for really quick transition, run at that other team, turn it into a very narrow, forceful playing style. And I think you'll see some dividends. I always go back to that game where Chicago beat the rain four to nothing in 2019. And that was a game plan 100% centered around that pitch. Um, so yeah, Houston, I think just still, they kind of are who they are. I think that when they have everybody, they're going to be a lot more dynamic. I think they're going to struggle against top teams when they don't have those players uh, for the rain. I didn't fully understand this lineup a little bit. You talk about dynamicism. They it's very conservative in a way. They want to control the pace. They want to have a lot of the ball. Um, I agree. I don't, I'm not sounding alarm bells just yet, but I am interested by what the rain want to do with Ziara King. I know they targeted her. They wanted her very badly. So I want to know what that means for her playing time. And yes, I think losing Allie long uh, before the game was a big issue for them. I think they have weaknesses in their defense. I am not sure that Ben Steady has necessarily adapted quite just yet to the NWSL style of playing. 
they're going to be playing a lot of games on this pitch. I think they're going to need to figure that out too. And yeah, zero, zero draw. You're right. It's better than a loss. Um, no one has to walk away feeling too bad about that, but not a great game. Well, I I'm glad you mentioned the defense. Cause I totally forgot. I can't believe that they started Madison Hammond over Lou Barnes. Over Lou Barnes. That yeah. Really, that was really surprising to me. And you know, nothing against Madison Hammond. I mean, she's a great player. She's really coming into her home, but I mean, wow. And like, you didn't even use her as a sub. Like that's, that's crazy to me. Um, yeah. I don't even know what's, I'm, I was like speechless when well, I Well, and as far it. as we know, that wasn't an injury, right? That was a, no, that was no. a play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was that's a coach's decision. Place. It was yeah. a questionable coach's decision, but a coach's decision nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, I think that the 11, the, the formation choices and the 11 choices, I don't know exactly how much I agree with those um I think it's like John said two weeks ago I think we don't know really what a Ben Steady team looks like in this league and it feels sometimes still like they don't watch enough tape maybe that's just it I feel like that team does not watch enough tape and I think that they would do better to have a little bit of that inside of them and like you said when Megan Rapino is back in the mix she's going to be someone who's going to demand that of, of, of other people and very fascinated by that because Rapino was not, has not been a major factor for the rain in a while. And I don't know exactly, I'm not trying to start any drama. I just don't know exactly where her head's at in terms of club play right now. I think that she's all in on the Olympics. I think that's great. Um, we'll just have to see how she messes with that, with that whole system. Uh, any final thoughts, uh, larger general thoughts about NWSL right now. We have full steam ahead, Portland and North Carolina, uh, well, actually North Carolina, he still needs to play their second game, but Portland really in the driver's seat in the West. seems like we could see a Portland, North Carolina final. Uh, are we stoked for that? Are we bummed again? That? What do we think? <laughs> I mean, between, between Portland and North Carolina and, you know, over in MLS, Seattle and Toronto, it's like, God, come on. Can somebody else just like, right. Step up. Even if it's, even if it's one team that changes, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're gearing up for it, but I don't know. Racing Louisville prove me wrong or something. I don't know. <laughs> I will say I'm excited to get our top line players back. I'm ready for some star power. Um, I think that the NWSL has done okay with these games without their stars. Maybe not quite as good as I'd hoped. I think we've seen the downfall of this preseason without a ton of, because of COVID restrictions, without a ton of professional grade competition. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready for some fireworks, I think. And not, not the chaotic kind, but like the really good soccer. Okay, so that's the NWSL for this week. We're going to switch over to the international game because we did have the second slate of international results early this week as well. The first game of the week, the first women's soccer game that I watched this week was U.S. versus France. But um, before we do that, I do want to run through a slate of some other results because I do think that they're significant. Um, We'll start with the other international friendlies of note. Uh, Spain defeated Mexico three to nothing. However, the caveat I want to make to that is that it was a scoreless first half. And I think that Spain's quality ultimately won out, but Mexico is very exciting. I think that the Monica Vergara era is, is really, really positive. They are playing like they believe in themselves. I think that's great. The Netherlands kicked Australia's butt five to nothing, really rough result for Australia really maybe settling some expectations for Tokyo and setting kind of the tone for what they need to do going into hosting the world cup in 2023 Canada defeated England two to nothing. Another bad slate of games from England. They don't look like they have a ton of confidence right now either. Uh, Chile. This one is significant for the Olympic tournament itself. Chile drew Cameroon nil nil, which means that Chile advances two to one. They were one of the final teams to qualify for the Olympics in addition to China, who also drew South Korea, but that meant that they went through 4-3 on aggregate. So our final two teams to qualify for the Olympic tournament are Chile and China. Huge for Chile. I love that team. They were so stoked. Uh, I feel bad for Cameroon. That's a team that has a lot of talent as well. Uh, Gotham FC, big winners there, actually, because they're going to have a still Johnson for the whole season. I think that that is significant to them. A very fun game that I don't know, it's kind of wacky, was Sweden 4-2 to two over Poland. That was the last of, of the, the matches that I saw results of in, in Europe and elsewhere to UEFA qualifying. We had our final qualifying rounds, our qualifying playoff for the Euros. 
Northern Ireland advanced over the Ukraine. Russia, Rachel, as you, I'll narrate, Rachel is waving her Russian flag in front of the microphone, in front of the camera. Russia uh, advanced over Portugal and Switzerland defeated the Czech Republic in penalties. Can you imagine penalties to go to the Euros? That's wild. And uh, they were very excited about that. So these are our three final teams qualifying for the Euros next summer. So I I have one quick comment. Yeah, yeah, jump in. I only cried once when (laughs) Russia qualified, um, packing my bags for for England in 2022. Um, But no, I co-sign everything you said about Mexico. I've been covering Liga MX Femenil and, you know, some really great talents. And one player I just really want to shout out is um, Allison Gonzalez. She has been so good uh, for Atlas this year. She was like the leading scorer for like, I think like the first 11 weeks and then Alicia Cervantes um, from Chivas scored like, you know, 10,000 goals against like Juarez or something. Um, And she, you know, is a top now, but Allison Gonzalez, I think she just turned 20. Um, She, she's a young talent and she is, she is the face of the future for, um, for Mexico. I think she's, she's been really great for them. Renee Collier, she has been amazing for Tijuana, although they're kind of in the middle of the table. Um, but you know, the, the quality that Mexico has for their players is I think the best group that they've had in a really, really long time. Um, and it just makes me excited for, um, when, you know, world cup qualifying does come around and like, you know, hit or miss, uh, friendlies. And I hope the United States and Mexico can do a friendly, um, sometime in the near future. Cause I think Mexico could give the United States a run for their money. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of international games, they've been the Netherlands just completely owning Australia, um, but I had read an article this morning, I think it was from the BBC, um, where Sam Kerr was just kind of like, all right, everybody just kind of chill out. We're, we're okay. You know, if you, if you don't, um, she had said something like, if, you, if you're getting really worked up about the Matilda struggles, then you don't really understand football. So the, I think they're very calm over there, um, calmer than I would be after a 5 nothing loss. Um, but I, I, I still think that there's, there's ample time until um, qualifiers and stuff for, for the World Cup. So this is the time now. And I know I talked to um, Randy Waldrum a couple of weeks ago, who's coaching the, the Nigerian women's national team. And he had reiterated, this is the time for national teams to tinker around with stuff, especially if you're not going to the Olympics. Um, you've got the time, you've got the space, tinker around with stuff, kind of play around and, and see what you can do. Um, and I know it's something Mexico has been doing with uh, Monica Vergara. So yeah, the international games were great. And I'm going to the year, we're going to the Euros, Russia. So yeah, I'll uh, my girls out. Sure. Yeah. One final word on Mexico before we move on to the US. I, I think you're right. And I think that um, there's an ongoing discussion about how important youth results are in terms of developing players for the full team. The US is maybe a shining example of they don't always win or do super well on the youth stage, but they pick the players that they like out of those teams and they do quite well on the full team. But Mexico's results in the U-17s and the U-20s really showing here. It's a whole new generation. And we're seeing the benefits of, of that investment that they put into the squad. You know, it's five. Well, how many years has Liga MX's Femenil been going on? Like six, seven years? Just, yeah, like five takes, or six years. It takes time. It just takes time. And they're starting to see the de- dividends of that and under a new manager. And I think that's great. Okay. So switching over to the big U.S. game. Uh, the U.S. defeated France two to nothing on Tuesday. This was not France's A team. This is probably the first thing we have to say here. France uh, dealing with the COVID outbreak at Lyon meant that they were missing some players. They did some rotation from their first game where they defeated England three to one. This was not a fully firing France team, and I think that's an important thing to say before we talk about this game. I do think this eleven is an 11 we will see in the Olympics from the U S this was like the, we want to win this game. Let's find, let's sharpen, let's sharpen our starters here rather than show depth. And the U S I think played better than they did against Sweden. Uh, But France was giving them a lot of time, a lot of time on the ball. And it kind of played out like that quarterfinal played out. The U S got an early goal in the fifth minute. It was a bit of a soft penalty against Alex Morgan. Pino sinks those. They go up one nothing. After that, France is reeling a little bit. Uh, I thought Megan Rapinoe was having a ball out there. It was funny how much fun she was having during this game. Um, 
Press and Morgan played really nicely together in this first half. We had a very nice assist from Kristen Press. Morgan sinks it two nothing early game. That ups, ends up being ball game. Not a lot happens in the rest of the match. Um, Crystal Dunn pushed forward quite a bit. Uh, O'Hara, I think, had a better game. You know, I don't know. I I don't. First of all, again, this is just a struggle. You know, this game was a couple of days ago. I'm having some trouble remembering exactly what happened. I'm like looking at my notes, but. Uh, I don't know if we learned a ton from this one other than the U.S.'s choice 11 is very good. France is dealing with some absences and also struggled to respond when they go down early. Yeah, I think you're right. This wasn't the A team for the French team. And and I think it's, you know, good that they were able to get their backup some time on the pitch and everything. Um, I just think that, you know, between, I think JP uh, Della Camera, who was calling some of these games, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong there, but I'm not sure. Um, he had said something like the Sweden game is definitely more important than the French game. And I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, comparing. I think, two- I think, the, I think the second game was, um, was uh, Foudy and, and Salazar. Yeah. The, the second game was on ESPN. Yeah. The first game was on. The Fox. first game I do think was JP Della Camera. Yeah. I, th- I feel like he said that during the first game. I'm not sure. I could be wrong. Could have been um, Salazar who said it. But somebody had said, you know, the, the first game between Sweden, that's definitely the tougher of the two games because, like, if France had their full team there, that would have been the tougher one, I think. Um, but I think that, you know, the United States, I didn't think O'Hara had a good two games at, at all. I think that starting spot um, is, is a little bit up for grabs. I don't know. I could totally be wrong about that. Um but I, I just think that when it when it comes to going up early, I think the United States is pretty the the one thing that I like that they don't do is they don't just hunker down. They try to go in the attack more. So that was that was a good thing to see that they were still kind of attacking, still trying to get that second goal. It was something that I didn't really see too much against Sweden. I thought they kind of stayed back a little bit more because Sweden just kept pressing and pressing and pressing. Um, so the French game was a little bit more in the United States control um, than anything. But I still think they're two pretty good tests before the Olympics, um, especially that Sweden game. Um yeah, I, I really don't have too much to add because, like you just said, it was so far away. It was, <laughs> like it was a long time ago. I know. Yeah, it's, it feels like it feels like forever ago, especially when you have like four club games right. um, in between and everything. But yeah, I mean, the United States—they're going to get more more chances to, you know, try to build up some momentum and everything before the Olympics. Um, but I think that Vlako Andonovsky pretty much knows who he's bringing to the Olympics. Um, and then I also, I always forget about the reserve spots too. Um, alternates, yeah. Yeah, the alternates, what there's three or there's four of those. A goalkeeper, oh gosh, I think it's a goalkeeper and two field players mm-hmm. for a total of 21. I think that's right. Yeah, that that would make sense. Uh, I just, I don't know if if he's kind of, I feel like if there's anything of uncertainty, there's maybe like, there's 18 players that go to the Olympics. Maybe he has 16 out of 18 set. And he's got two that he's trying to figure out. But I think for the most part, like you said, that's the starting 11. I think that is probably going to go to the Olympics. Um, that's going to be lining up in the first game. Um, and the draw for that is on Wednesday, I, I think. So lots yeah. to look forward to for that. Yeah. So let's let's move away from the game itself. Let's talk roster briefly. Um, I do think that there is some insight into the roster in this game because I think that this was the let's go win this game team. Uh, no Jane Campbell in two games. Um, I, I think it's funny that you said that O'Hara didn't play super well and that you think the starting spot is up for grabs because I agree with half of that statement. I agree that O'Hara didn't play super well. And I do not agree that that starting spot is up for grabs. I think it's O'Hara or nothing. Um, In my perfect world, it would definitely be like Casey Kruger. Like in my perfect world, it would definitely be her, but my perfect world isn't going to happen and I'm slowly starting to accept that. Sure. Yeah, I think so. I think it's telling that Midge Purse did not even suit up for either of these games. Uh, Alana Cook did not suit up for either of these games. And here is actually another wrinkle into this that we found out, I think, yesterday, which is that Tobin Heath's injury recovery has been delayed. And she has, she had, I think it was a high ankle sprain. 
was quite a few weeks out with that. She had an injury setback with her knee. She actually left Manchester United to go back to the States to uh, rehab in the States. The whole thing for me, and I've said this on this podcast before, is I think I know who's going if they take six forwards. I don't know who gets cut if they take five. Same with the defense. I know what happens if they take six defenders. I don't know what happens if they take five. If Tobin Heath isn't ready for the Olympics, and I think right now we just don't know, I think we know what happens, right? You've got five defenders. It's Rapino, Lloyd, Morgan, Williams, Press. There are your five. Uh, you take six defenders. That's going to be Dunn, Dahlkemper, Sauerbrunn, uh, Davidson, O'Hara, Sonnet. There are your six. You have a question mark in that midfield between Mewis and Macario is what I think. That's it. I think that's it. I think that's the Olympic roster. Uh, if he is able to go, then we have some other questions. Um, but that's where I'm at with it. And I think that, right, fewer surprises than maybe we had in our hopes and dreams in like January, but about what you expect, right, from this team? Yeah, I would say so. I think I'm, I'm a huge, how's, that, how's a good way to say this? I'm a big believer in club play translating to national team call-ups. And I know, you know, that the, the thing that makes me so mad, Claire, is the allocation crap. I uh, Hopefully in its final year. Crap. Hopefully in its final year. Yeah. I hope to God. Because, like, listen, I, I hate to be that person that, like, compares. But, like, one of the things I loved about Jurgen Klinsmann is that he brought up players who played club-level really well. He didn't care that Landon Donovan had over so many goals and over so many caps for the U S men's national team. He said, listen, if you're not playing consistently for club, you're not getting called up for country. And I wish that would happen more with the U S women's national team. That roster would look totally different in my opinion. Um, And for me, you know, I'm not knocking Tobin Heath here because you can't control an injury. Injuries suck. They happen. And sometimes setbacks happens and that sucks. And that happens. But if she's not playing club and she's not playing and getting those minutes, I don't think you take her because for the Olympics, especially with how like the group stage games are structured and like even the knockout round games are structured, they're all very close games. And I think you need players that are actively playing and actively getting those minutes and know um, what's what's the word I'm looking for that are in like, you know, game fitness and stuff like that to go and then translate that into the, into the Olympics and into a very, very, very tight schedule. Um, so, you know, not knocking Tobin Heath here injuries, they suck and they happen and you can't really control it, but you, it's like I said earlier in segment one, you got to go with the hot hand. You got to go with the consistency that's being brought at the club level. And then hopefully that translates to the international level, but yeah, I guess that's that's the, that's the box I'm gonna die on. I guess that's the hill I'm gonna die on. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot I agree with there. Um, I think the U.S. without it was kind of like that question with Rapino in 2016. I think it's a big choice to make if you do have a Tobin Heath that is 75, 80 percent ready. That's a tough choice. I think that team without Heath, um, it changes their options. It changes their locker room. And she's been a big part of this team for a long time. So, you know, in a way, if you're Vladko, I'm sure you want Heath to be as close as possible to being ready to go by the middle of June when that roster is decided. But also the decision gets a lot easier if she's not. So we'll see. I feel for Heath. I think that she had, she, you know, both she and Press had high ambitions for this Manchester United stint. And it hasn't quite gone the way that they wanted. And I think that it makes their future actually a little bit more complicated too. So we'll kind of see how all of that plays out. Um, The U S does not have any scheduled games coming up. They are planning, I believe on doing a tournament of nations pretty close to the Olympics. We're going to see these players back with their club teams and we're going to maybe get some insight as to, as you said, club play translating to national play. I think there is going to be, it's Lako Ananoski. I think there's going to be some pressure on these players to perform. And I think that the NWSL will only benefit from that. And him being an NWSL coach, understanding how important that club play is. I think he really want, I think he is limited because of the allocation list. And I know like for him, he's probably itching like, you know, for example, um, like if Megan Oyster has a few really good games, he's probably itching like, oh my gosh, I want to bring her, but I can't because I have these allocated players. And 
like you said, hopefully, hopefully it's the last year of that. (laughs) So final question, final U S women's national team question, the perennial question. Uh, why the heck does no goalkeeper other than Alyssa Nair play for this team? And, uh, what does that mean and why and how? Well, that thing always bothers me because you know that Alyssa is the number one and you know, that's fine. You want to get her some games, but you need to play your backups too. Cause you got to figure out who's going to be your backup. And I get it. Like they're figuring out their training and everything, but they need game time action. And it just ugh, makes me so angry. And there's one, one other goalkeeper that goes right. So yeah, one on the main roster, one alternate. Okay. I think, I think it's Jane Campbell. Yeah. 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 I will be really interested to see. I mean, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I don't know if you, if you offer Ashlyn Harris an alternate spot, does she go? Do you I offer think... Ashlyn Harris an alternate spot or do no, you I don't, I don't think so. somebody else. I don't know. Ashlyn Harris is like fourth or fifth on my depth chart. I have, um, uh, Oh, what's the, I just blanked on her name. Aubrey Bledsoe Casey has been Murphy. in camp and Casey Murphy has been in camp as well. Yeah. Those are the two. Yeah. I have, I have, um, Alyssa Nair, Jane Campbell, Casey Murphy, um, Aubrey Bledsoe, and then, um, Ashlyn Harris. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what my depth chart is. I feel like I haven't seen enough in the last two years to really know, but, um, yeah, I think that it's going to be as always, these decisions are going to be made on the margins. And I think you're right that that alternate list is going to be just as interesting as probably the main roster. So that's the U.S. Women's National Team talk for this week. We're probably going to shelve that for a little bit. They don't have games for a while, uh, but we will have a whole heap of NWSL games for you next week as well, Um, in addition to whatever else happens. Because as we all know, with women's soccer, heaven help us if we try to predict what this upcoming week will bring. Uh, I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. Thank you to Rachel for joining me this week. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and we will see you all next time. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.